But when your ketones go up to just 0.5, two hormones change dramatically. One is called ghrelin. That's the hormone that makes you hungry. The other one is called is called CCK. That's a hormone that makes you full. So all of a sudden you do this and you're like, I don't care about food. Someone can put a plate of donuts in front of you at 10 a.m. and you look at the donuts and instead of that voice in your head going, eat the donut, you're just like, I don't want the donut. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of High Performance Health, but this is not just any episode. This marks the 100th episode. I am so excited and I am so grateful to you beautiful people for listening to me and supporting me and helping me get to 100 episodes. I have an incredibly special guest for you today on the podcast to mark this 100th episode. But before we get to that, I also have a very special surprise. We are doing a huge giveaway to celebrate 100 episodes and one lucky listener is going to to win my Live Younger Longer Blueprint. That is a 90-day program to biohack your health for optimal performance and longevity. It's completely unique in so far as it is based on your unique genetics. So we work with your biology, your individual bio-individuality to get you the best results. And it includes the world's most comprehensive DNA test. So if you win this, you're about to find out your sensitivity to carbs, to fats, how you process caffeine, whether you're vulnerable to any particular chronic diseases, you'll find out your sleep chronotype, are you an early morning or a night owl, and a huge host of other information that basically removes all of the guesswork. This is completely transformational and the Live Younger Longer Blueprint will show you exactly how to put these things into practice to get the very best results. It also includes as part of this prize, six months of group coaching calls with me. And I'm also throwing in a very special one-to-one coaching call with me personally, where I will walk you through your DNA report and show you exactly how you can use it, the results to get the most out of it. Now, remember your DNA may load the gun, but it's the environment that pulls the trigger. So let's get that environment completely optimal so that you really can have the highest energy, a fast metabolism and enhance your longevity so that you can really unlock the very best version of you. Now, all you need to do to enter is to show your support for the podcast by leaving a positive review on whichever platform you're listening and take a screenshot of that review so that we know and can enter you. And all you need to do is just take that screenshot and tag me on Instagram at Angela S. Foster. Or if you're not on social, you can email it to us um, at Vanessa at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. So that's two ways of doing it. If you leave a positive review and then you screenshot it and tag us at Angela S. Foster or email it to Vanessa at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. Um, if you want to share as well how this show has impacted you, that would be absolutely incredible to hear about. I read all of these personally, so that would be amazing. But those are the ways to enter. So you just simply need to leave a positive review take a screenshot of it and tag me at Angela S. Foster on Instagram and or send an email to Vanessa at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. 
and you could be the lucky winner. We will be drawing that prize over the next 10 days and announcing the winner here on the podcast and also on Instagram. So I'm so excited for you. I wish you the very best of luck. And let me now introduce you to today's guest. It is the awesome Dave Asprey, the father of biohacking. Dave Asprey is the founder and chairman of Bulletproof. He is a three times New York Times bestselling science author, host of the Webby award-winning podcast Bulletproof Radio, and has been featured on the Today Show, CNN, the New York Times, Dr. Oz, and more. Over the last two decades, Dave, the father of biohacking, has worked with world-renowned doctors, researchers, scientists, and global mavericks to uncover the latest, most innovative methods, techniques, and products for enhancing mental and physical performance. Dave has personally spent nearly $2 million taking control of his own biology, pushing the bounds of human possibility, all in the name of science and evolution. The creator of the Bulletproof Diet and innovator of Bulletproof Coffee, collagen protein, supplements, and many more advances in commercial wellness products, Dave's mission is to empower the entire globe with information and knowledge that unlocks the superhuman in everyone at any age. The proof of all these advancements are better sleep, energy, and expanded capacity for all. Be a better partner, parent, provider, and overall human being in every aspect of life. Be proof, be bulletproof. And that is what Dave is going to be sharing exactly how you can do that on today's show. We also dive into his brand new book, Fast This Way, how to burn fat, heal inflammation and eat like the high performing human you were meant to be. This is an absolutely fantastic episode. Dave has been a huge inspiration to me in my own journey back from burnout. I've loved all of his books and I can't wait to dive into these aspects of health with him on today's show so that you can really, really make some transformational changes to your own health and wellness. So let me introduce you now to the wonderful Dave Asprey. So I am absolutely delighted to be here today to be joined with Dave Asprey. He is the founder and chairman of Bulletproof. He's a three-time New York Times bestselling author and host of the Webby award-winning podcast, Bulletproof Radio. He's also inspired me into many of the biohacking techniques. And I think most of all, Dave, the thing that I find the best about you and your work is that you make it fun and you make it easy. Like one of the things that made me laugh when I was reading your book was kind of like, if you're fasting and you want to take supplements and you're not sure whether you should take them, they don't come with a warning, may make you bath. So if you take them, then basically you just need to work out, am I feeling nauseous? And if you are, just eat some food and it will go away. And I just like, I love the simplicity um, because there's hardcore science in your work, but you just make it fun and interesting and super easy. So thank you. Um, and thanks for joining welcome. me. Something I learned in, in Silicon Valley, uh, where I, I learned how to be an entrepreneur, is that usually the best technologies don't win. The ones that are explained the best win. So if you have something that's worthy, then if you don't do the final steps to bring it into the world in a way people can use it, who cares if you invent something that no one ever uses? So it's that second step that's part of the creation process that I think is missing. So you can have a cure for cancer, but if no one ever uses it, you didn't cure cancer. And that's just how it works. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And also, I think if you don't make something fun and easy to do, people are just not going to stick with it. Yeah. So 
That's that's the thing. So let's start with the place I want to start, because I think this is what fasting and everything that you do really helps with, apart from longevity, is achieving metabolic flexibility. And this is often the biggest battle for people as they kind of get into their 40s and beyond. So can we start there? Like, how would you define metabolic flexibility? Metabolic flexibility is the ability to turn any available nutrient into energy quickly and efficiently. But it's not just people over 40. In, I think it was Headstrong, in my book on mitochondria in the brain, I found some statistics, 48% of people under age 40 have early onset mitochondrial insufficiency. In other words, you do a job every day of taking 30 pounds of air and some amount of energy from food or whatever and making electrons out of it. And if you do a poor job of that, you don't make enough electrons, you make more inflammation. When you're metabolically flexible, you can take all of the air and all the food, combine them and get all the electricity. And if you do that, you don't get cancer, heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's and all the other bad stuff that happens as we age. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. And also you, when you've got true metabolic flexibility, you look good as well. And who doesn't want to look good in their swimwear, right? It, it's a side effect. Abs are a side effect of having a brain that works because it has <laughs> enough energy. And like, that's how it works. Yeah. You can true. also have abs without a brain that works. <laughs> yeah, you can. That's true as well. Um, but it's nice to have both. So um, in terms of fasting, now you provide so many like techniques and things that people can do. One of the things that I love, particularly as a woman, because you've de dedicated a whole chapter, I think, in the book on fasting for women, um, is how women, it may not be suitable for them to do long extended fast and how it can affect their hormones. Um, but one of the easiest things for men and women when they're getting started with fasting is to drink bulletproof coffee. And it definitely has made my fasting foray easier. Now, the first step in any journey to transformation is actually creating awareness around where you're at right now. And if you'd like to find out where you are in your health and wellness, then you can check out a brand new tool that I've developed, which will give you your total health score and also give you individual scores on each of the five areas that we look at in my shift program. And those are sleep, hormones, insights, the way you're fueling your mind and body and the way you're training your mind and body and you can get your own personalized health score with a full report completely free with personalized recommendations by heading over to www.yourtotalhealthcheck.com and you'll get an overall score of your health and you'll also get scored on those individual areas with personal recommendations from me about how you can do specific things to move you forward and improve your health and wellness and your performance and longevity so make sure you go and check that out it's over at www.yourtotalhealthcheck.com. Now let's get back to the podcast. Um, it, so <laughs> I was just going to ask you to explain how it kind of works because sure. some people say, does it, you know, does it interfere with autophagy? That's the biggest thing, right? Isn't it that people worry about? Um, yeah. People worry about all sorts of things. <laughs> at this point, probably the first big successful book that talked about intermittent fasting, at least in my knowledge, was The Bulletproof Diet. And I published the knowledge online in 2011. The book came out in 2014. And I said, look, if you want to do all this stuff to perform better 
intermittent fasting is important. You can have bulletproof coffee during the intermittent fast, and here's why. And you also have to do keto, but it has to be cyclical. You can't be keto all the time. And you have to avoid these certain kinds of toxins and inflammatory things. And if you do all those, magic stuff happens in your brain, metabolic flexibility, et cetera. But that's relatively complex because it's you know, five big things. So when you take it down and say, all right, what about intermittent fasting? What does that do for you? There's two things that characterize a fast. One is your insulin doesn't go up. The other one is your mTOR doesn't go up. Most people don't know what mTOR is. mTOR is a signaling molecule in the body that says build. And you say, well, that might be good, except when you're constantly in grow mode, you might put on a lot of muscle, but you're also going to be growing cancer. So what you want to do is have brief periods of high grow mode and other periods of low grow mode, high recover and restore mode. So the question is, during a fast, you're in repair mode. What can you put in your body during a fast that turns off hunger, that doesn't change insulin and doesn't change mTOR? And over the course of the last 10 years, um, uh, some third party, I don't remember who it was now, they tested 300 breakfasts to look at their effects on blood sugar. <laughs> and like, what do you know? Bulletproof coffee has zero effect. It was at the very top of the list. And then, so we know that doesn't change insulin. And then I've asked several of the top experts on autophagy on my podcast on Bulletproof Radio, um, what about this? And all of them have said, oh yeah, you still maintain autophagy. Your mTOR levels are low. And these are people who've written books on autophagy. So what's happening there is when you have protein, it raises mTOR and maybe a little bit of insulin. When you have carbs, it raises insulin and maybe a little bit of mTOR. So this crazy scientist part of me is like, what would happen if we just had healthy fats? <laughs> and if you do that, then your body's like, oh, this is good. Bulletproof coffee though, is one of the three hacks that I teach people about in Fast This Way in the new book. By the way, that's my fourth New York Times bestseller. I'm pretty stoked. And that's amazing. What you do there is you say, okay, the first hack is just black coffee. And black coffee has enough caffeine, at least two small cups of it does, to double ketone production. And when you fast in a traditional way, you know, just drinking a little tea or water, and you wait two, two and a half days, suddenly your hunger goes away. But it's miserable for those first couple of days. And at least it is if you're not metabolically flexible and trained for fasting. And what ends up happening is then you feel this incredible liberation, what I describe in the book when I fasted in a cave for four days. Like, oh, wow, my brain works. I'm in this crazy state. But you're not going to get there unless you get your ketones up. And one of the big reasons that you get there is after two and a half days, you get ketones because your body has nothing else to eat. It starts eating your fat. Well, when you use black coffee and the ketones go up, it's probably not going to be enough to turn off hunger, but it helps. And coffee is shown to be an appetite suppressant and good for you on many different levels. So you can do that during a fast. And some purists will say, hey, the mice didn't do that in the studies in the lab. They only had water. Therefore, you can only have water. Well, the mice don't have espresso machines and they didn't get a choice. So there's no rule that says you can only have water during a fast. In fact, there's a camp of people who says you shouldn't even have water during a fast. So mm -hmm. there's a great argument about what the definition of fasting is. And I'll tell you metabolically, no mTOR, no insulin going up, you're in a fasted state. And there's some gut bacteria, little asterisks we could talk about if you want to. The second big hack is bulletproof coffee. At this point, people have lost more than a million pounds on the bulletproof diet. It's still very popular. I'm still teaching it in my upgrade collective course. And 
what you end up realizing is, wow, this doesn't have those negative fasting effects, but the MCT oil that I've made into all the rage, that raises ketones, at least the one that I recommend, raises four ketones four times more than coconut oil. And you put a little bit of butter in there because it changes the structure of the water in the coffee so you can more easily use that liquid to make ATP in your cells. And that came out of research from the University of Washington. So there's real science in here, but basically you put a little bit of butter, it doesn't have to be a lot, put some MCT oil in, blend it up, and now you've got doubling of ketones from caffeine, quadrupling of ketones from the MCT, and water that can more easily be used to make energy from the butter in the coffee that was blended in. And you drink it, and magically, ketones usually go up to 0.5. 0.5 is a magic number. It's much less than the keto bros, like, I only had bacon for the last week. You don't have to do that. But when your ketones go up to just 0.5, two hormones change dramatically. One is called ghrelin. That's the hormone that makes you hungry. The other one is called, is called CCK. That's the hormone that makes you full. So all of a sudden, you do this, and you're like, I don't care about food. Someone can put a plate of donuts in front of you at 10 a.m., and you look at the donuts, and instead of that voice, you're not going, eat the donut. You're just like, I don't want the donut. So there's no inner dialogue. There's no willpower. And fasting becomes really easy when you do that. And if you do that for a few months, one day you wake up and go, I'll just try coffee this morning. I don't really need anything else. And you've built metabolic flexibility because the body got used to having fat to burn. So then it actually changes the enzymes available to make energy so that they can do fat or carbs. And now you're healthier. And so what do you advise on a daily basis is the better option then? The bulletproof coffee or just the coffee? Because what you're talking about there with the butter is what it's sort of when you blend it up, it makes it into easy water, right? Yes. Um, which is amazing. And we want to get more easy water. We can kind of jump around in the sun and that will help. But this is a really easy way. So I'm just curious, what do you have daily? Well, I never have more than two meals a day. I'm actually scared of eating three meals a day because I just never feel as good. It's not that I wouldn't do it on you know some special occasion or something, but I know that I genuinely have more energy, feel better. And my life, my quality of life is higher when I eat one or two meals a day. So that's what I do. And I do it every day. And I don't have breakfast 90% of the time. If it's a Saturday morning, you know, we're waking up and having a brunch or something fine. I'll do that. And then I'll have an early, uh, kind of a very early dinner or lunch, brunch, whatever you want to call it. And then I'm done. Uh, I usually start out with black coffee. Um, today, I'm drinking a coffee made with some of the Bulletproof Creamer, which is just butter, MCT, and a soluble fiber, which is the third hack from the book. And this stuff is just Bulletproof Creamer. And the reason um, I do that is um, this gives me masses of energy. And almost every day, that's what I do. Um, sometimes I put a little bit of creamer in, sometimes I put a lot, sometimes I just have black coffee. What determines that is if you wake up and you're just starving, Mm. Well, you ate something in your last meal that made you starving, and that's why you shouldn't wake up starving. Um, that doesn't happen to me almost ever, but if it does, then I'm going to go heavier on the bulletproof. Or if I wake up and my aura ring shows me that my, my stress isn't very good, you know, that my body is in a stressed state, then I would have more butter, more MCT oil. And so you tune it based on your energy. And what I found over the last 10 years in working with you know, tens of thousands of people on the Bulletproof side and in all the forums and all, is that women generally don't do well on fasts that are as long as men do. Men usually like two to four hours longer than women. And especially when you're getting going on fasting or if you're in perimenopause, 
Bulletproof coffee is a lifesaver. And I'm not trying to sell Bulletproof coffee. Like Bulletproof is a large company. <laughs> it won't change my life if any listener does or doesn't buy Bulletproof, but it might change yours. And that's why I'm so passionate about it because it really, it really changes the voice in your head around food. And suddenly what would have been a push isn't a push. And I kind of take this personally because I used to weigh 300 pounds because if I didn't eat six or eight times a day, I would get hypoglybitchy and cranky. And I was afraid of acting like a jerk. And I feel for people, men or women, who are saying, look, I've got 25 pounds to lose. My energy level is not where I want it to be. And today I'm just going to have a glass of water for breakfast. And then I've got two kids bouncing around the house who should be in school. And I'm going to try and focus. You're not going to focus. You're, you're going to feel like crap and you're not going to keep doing it. So I want this to be painless. And it is painless when you do it this way. You simply aren't hungry and you're getting the benefits of a fast and you're teaching your body, hey, you should be able to burn fat at any time. And then fasting becomes easier and easier and easier. And then you realize the hold that food had over you that it doesn't have anymore. Yeah, 100%. That's exactly how I use it. Actually, it's really interesting. And when you say that, because some mornings I'm fine and I'll go for, I'll drop the kids at school. I'll go for a morning dog walk, completely fasted. I'll have black coffee, um, but nothing else. And then other days I'm just a little bit hungrier and I want to get through. I don't do like really long fast. So if I eat at 6.37, then I'll probably fast until about 10.30, 11. And I think as a woman that just works just fine. And there's some days though that I'm like, actually, do you know what? My husband's making me a coffee and he's like, which one do you fancy today? And it's bulletproof because I do feel a bit hungry, but it's interesting about what you say, you know, that that probably is down to what I ate in the last meal. Um, one question I have, because I'm really curious about this is, exercise. Now you make it quite clear that actually exercise, when you're going to do something, you want to go hard at it, right? So make it intense if you're going to do it and make it short, which I think is great. Um, and the research really supports it. Um, and you say to sort of eat afterwards, particularly for women, men may not need to eat necessarily afterwards, but it's the best time to have some carbs. It, it's better what for both to eat after. It's better exercise. for both. Okay. Yeah. okay. Men can handle it better if they don't, but, but it's if still you, better. If you exercise hard and then you eat some protein and you can have protein, fat and carbs, but really particularly protein within 30 minutes, it blunts a 48 hour spike in cortisol. So basically having, wow. we talked about mTOR before, right? This, this grow mode, mTOR is like a spring. And so the more you, the more you squash it down, the more it's going to surge forth later. And there's three things that suppress mTOR very reliably. One of them is coffee, <laughs> one of them is fasting, and one of them is exercise. So this technique I talk about is tripling down on mTOR, which means you wake up when you're already in a fasted state, and then you fast for a little bit longer, you have some coffee. So now the fasting and the coffee has pushed it down, pushed it down. Then you exercise, even for five minutes, do some squats and some push-ups. It's not that hard, right? And that's going to push it down even more. And then when you eat that protein, and the carbs, but really specifically the protein, the mTOR comes shooting up. And now all of a sudden you just exercised, mTOR is high, your body's in growth mode and you've got protein ready to put it into your muscles. Mm -hmm. So you're getting more out of the exercise because you primed your hormones in the right way to do it. And okay. this means you get more return for less work. And with exercise, there's great science, and I think this is in, it's either in Superhuman or Headstrong, one of, my, one of my two books before Fast This Way. And if you move 20 minutes a day, it does a bunch of good stuff for your energy production. Go for a walk after a meal and your blood sugar is lower. Just 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be sweaty. It doesn't have to be crazy. And that's one set of movement that isn't really exercise. And then once or twice a week, do something 
uh, really, really hard exercise bands, lift stuff, electrical current, whatever you like. It can be sprints. It can be uh, body weight exercises. It can be at the gym, but it can be 15 minutes and you just do it as heavy as you can without being injured and you do it to failure. And I do that. So I'm exercising about like with, with, I usually use either electricity, whole body vibration, resistance bands. And sometimes I do blood flow restriction because I'm a biohacker because my company upgrade labs is testing more effective exercise and recovery techniques. So I get to play, but in not more, usually it's once a week for 15 minutes, sometimes twice a week. I'm around 11% body fat right now. I'm, I haven't looked at my muscle mass lately, but I'm pretty darn fit. Like I feel pretty good for a guy who exercises less than almost everyone else, but gets results. And this pisses off the entire, you have to exercise all the time. You know, the, the, mm -hmm. there's usually it's men uh, and they're sort of like exercise bullies. I worked out an hour and a half a day, six days a week for 18 months to try and lose the hundred pounds. And I didn't lose any of the weight. I was very strong, but I was still fat. And that didn't work very well. And I was on a low fat, low calorie diet. And that's one of the things that inspired me to start Bulletproof. I'm like, now I want to do what works. I don't care if it's supposed to work. I don't want to be hungry. I want my brain to work all the time. And I want my body to look the way I want it to look and feel the way I want it to feel. That's a different thing than cut calories and exercise all the time. And that's kind of what the old calories in, calories out crowd does. So I talk about that a lot in Fast This Way, like why calories are not a very useful metric for us to use to lose weight sustainably. Yeah, I agree 100%. My, my question around it is actually like, in terms of that exercise, do you think that taking advantage of the early morning cortisol spike and actually doing that exercise in the morning, particularly for women, is an issue? So for example, like for me, I'm such an early morning type and I'm just ready to go even without coffee at 536 and I'm just one curious because I'm one of the bad people. <laughs> I'm, but no, I'm also one of those people that you don't want to invite to a dinner party unless you invite me at like 4 p.m. <laughs> because I'm going to go home. Um, so, yeah, go home to bed. But anyway, so I'm just curious what you think is, do you think you need to be moderate in the morning and not overspike it? Or do you think actually, hell, why not take advantage of it? Cortisol's high, you're an early morning person and just go for it first thing. Because I seem to read mixed reports. It just looks confusing, that area. Exercising when your cortisol is already high doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Mm. Right? The cortisol gives you energy, but cortisol is also catabolic. It breaks down muscles. So the evidence that I've seen, and I've done a lot of research in, in the books, is that the best time to exercise is about two in the afternoon. And- yeah could be anywhere between noon and two. And there's a circadian reason, reason for that. And it's that that's also the best time to eat, by the way, if you're going to eat one meal a day, if you were to eat it around 2 p.m. It's because way back 2 billion years ago, ancient bacteria that became mitochondria floating in the ocean, they're eating algae. And there's most bright sunlight overhead and most nutrient availability because algae grows from the sun between noon and two. And then the sun starts to, to, to get a little bit lower. And then there's less food available because the algae is less available. It's not growing as quickly. And then it all sinks down when it gets cold and dark and then everyone rests and recovers. So our peak movement and our peak energy consumption happens between noon and two. It's possible to work out in the morning because like that's when I had time, right? But working out in the morning means ideally you eat after the workout and it's possible to not eat afterwards. It's just not ideal. And what you would do then is you would eat breakfast after your workout, and then you would eat lunch and you'd skip dinner. And interestingly, there's a chapter in Fast This Way 
that talks about how to change your circadian rhythm because light is the strongest signal to tell your body when to go to sleep and not. The second strongest signal is food. So if you combine light exposure and food exposure, you can shift your sleeping window to whenever you want it to be to match your life. In my case, I'm genetically wired to be what they call a wolf. I wrote my book uh, up until three and four in the morning. I love the late nights. I've done that since I was wow. 10 years old. I am a night person. However, I like to drop my kids off at school too. I wake up without an alarm clock around 6.30 or seven every morning now. How did I do that? I used what I wrote about in the book to say, okay, if you wanna become a more of a morning person, then you eat earlier in the day and you make it really dark at night. And then the body gets the signal and goes, oh, I'm mistimed. So in your case, what you'd wanna do is you'd wanna eat a little bit later than you like to. And you wanna have brighter lights at night and when you wake up at 5.30 in the morning, you put on the True Dark glasses, this is my circadian lighting company, keep it really dim in the morning, and then don't eat and don't exercise. And if you do that for about a week, sometimes two weeks, magically, now you stay up till 10, and you go to bed at 10, and you're totally happy, but now you wake up at 6.30 instead of 5.30 and with the same energy. So it turns out it's tunable, but if you just try to use food, it's hard. And if you just try to use light, it's easier, but it's still pretty hard. The combination though is really powerful. So anyone can become a morning person, anyone can become a night person, but it's totally tunable. The question is when is dinner and when do you get bright light? Yeah, that's really interesting. It's the power of the two, isn't it? Yeah. Um, okay, and you only work out for like once, you only do it once or twice a week. So is that a full body retreat routine when you do it? Um, um, what are you doing there? No, I suppose, I mean, in the, in the interest of like really full disclosure, I do in the morning, I, I do a set of like stretching exercises, you know, like very Qigong sort of stuff, which isn't exercise. It's just very light movement. But at the end of that, I do a few pull-ups, but that's, you know, six or seven pull-ups. So maybe that's um, a, something I have reasonably good lats. But um, <laughs> so there's that, which takes all of, I think about 10 seconds to do six pull-ups, whatever the number of 12 seconds, I don't know how long they take. Um, I don't really consider that exercise. That's like a very brief. And then once a week, I typically focus on lower body and a little bit of chest. And the reason you focus on lower body is there's so much muscle mass in the glutes and in the thighs. What you want is you want more muscle mass because it actually drives synapses in the brain. You have a bigger brain when you have a bigger booty, <laughs> as long as it's muscle in the butt, not, uh, not just fat. And so if you wanted to put the most muscle on most quickly, it turns out legs are easier to do that. You need to have enough muscle to support the metabolism to support the brain. Interesting. So working my backside is going to make me smarter. Get one of those uh, stretchy bands you put around your knees, do 30 or 40 squats, do some of the leg opener, things like that, and then do some push-ups or some other resistance things. It's not that hard to do, and it makes a huge difference. And if you do it just once a week, it's normal. I'm usually sore for a day or two after I do it, but it's literally 15 minutes. And do you do it super slow or not? Do you, are you like an advocate of super slow strength training? Or? Yeah, um, slower is yeah. better. I wouldn't say I'm super slow, but I don't do it super fast either. Yeah. I love, uh, I love strength I also training. Do, I'd find it hard to do it once a week though, because I actually really enjoy it. It's okay to do it twice a week, but the, that means not back to back. A lot of people, especially when people get into being, you know, fitness models or fitness competitors, Every woman I've ever spoken to who was a fitness model or a bikini model says the same thing. I never looked so good and felt so bad <laughs> because, yeah. you know, they're eating the wrong stuff and they're trying to get too lean to actually be healthy. So 
if you're doing that, you don't want to be doing, you know, upper body, then lower body back day after day after day, especially as a woman. What you want to be doing is giving yourself a day between at least a day, sometimes two days, so that you can get full metabolic recovery from the workout and then go to another muscle group. So it's about spacing it out because recovery is when you grow. So yeah. stimulus recovery. But most of the time we get, oh, stimulus good. I'll stimulate every single day. And you do what I did for 18 months, which was overtrain. Yeah. And that's where I find the aura so helpful because you can track your HRV. Because if you're a kind of type A personality, yep. you just keep going, keep going. And then I look at my aura and it's like, be careful. <laughs> like readiness is totally down. And I just think it works so well as an independent metric. Um, so your sprint training, you talk about this in Fast This Way as well, about doing 20 minutes of exercise where you sprint really hard and then you kind of walk and then you sprint and you walk. That is that in addition to your strength training protocol, right? So now to be perfectly honest, I don't, I don't do that uh, anymore. What I do is I use an AI exercise bike. It's two 20 second sprints in seven and a half minutes. (laughs) There's no sweat involved. You're you're like, you're barely moving and it's like, there's a tiger and you go really fast, but it's varying the resistance based on my heart rate and things like that. So there's an algorithm involved but two studies from the University of Colorado that weren't funded by the manufacturer of the bike um, have shown more cardiovascular benefits from two, uh, two 20-second sprints than you would get in 45 minutes of riding a spin bike. So I'm getting a lot of benefits there in very little time. My perspective on this, I don't hate exercise. I'll go for a bike ride or a hike with my kids or something, but we all have a lot of things we want to do in our lives and I want to be a parent and I have five companies that I'm running (laughs) and a podcast and I write a New York times bestseller every year or two. So I want to focus my energy. And if I'm doing 10 hours of exercise every week and I could have got the same results in an hour, I feel morally obligated to spend the extra nine hours of wasted exercise, putting putting together a puzzle with my kids or something like that. That's important. Mm -hmm. So how do I get enough time to keep my body and my mind working right? and still show up in all the other areas of my life. And that's why it's important to know what exercise works best uh, because a lot of us are just wasting so much time in the gym and then we're eating foods that do the opposite of what we want and we think they're helping us. Then we feel like crap all the time. We have no willpower to do the small amount of necessary exercise. And then we get stuck in this place where I was stuck when I weighed 300 pounds. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so important, like the minimum effective dose on everything. Um, And as you say, the fasting helps you stay really, really switched on. I'm curious when you talk about that with productivity, what have you found in terms of working? Because I've played around a lot with this myself. And I know people, the listeners of this podcast will have, like, what have you found is the ultimate window for you in terms of being really productive? Because you've written so many books, like you are prolific in output. How do you do that? Well, I go back to, uh, I go back to my normal genetic circadian rhythm. So when I'm writing a book, um, I go into writing mode at 11 p.m. and I write from 11 until two, three, four, five in the morning, and okay. I do this. Now, when I used to do that, it was really disruptive of my circadian biology. You can see it in the Aura Ring. You can see it in, um, you can see it in your HRV, and it's it's not really that good for you. So what I have done for the last couple of books is I have only red lighting at night. It looks like I'm in a submarine and my monitors are set with red filters and I'll usually use the true dark glasses depending on how much contrast I need on the screen. And these are glasses that filter out all four kinds of light. They're not just blue blockers. And that com- I've actually written the patent for the, the primary lenses that we use because it's, it's very different than blue blocking. And 
So I put on the tree darks and I don't eat at night because that's a big signal way back five, six years ago. I'd say, well, I'm going to be up all night. I'm actually going to eat because it, it can actually give you energy. What I will do though, I'll have a decaf um, bulletproof sometimes uh, just because that exclusion zone water uh, and that little bit of energy from MCT helps. I'll take cognitive enhancers. Sometimes I'm running electricity over my brain that puts me in a certain state. And then I just go into this flow state and I write and I write and I write. And then I go to sleep and I wake up and my circadian rhythm isn't broken because I didn't eat and because I had the right color of light. My body still knows when nighttime is. So my adjustment time is zero. Otherwise, it's almost like having jet lag. And then I'll just wake up at you know, eight instead of seven or 6.30. And I'm perfectly happy on six and a half hours of sleep. In fact, I'm perfectly happy on five and a half hours of sleep. I'll get two hours of deep sleep and an hour and a half of REM sleep in that amount of time. So I've learned how to sleep better than most yeah, college you've students. Yeah, got that dialed in, in, really. Yeah, it took me a long wow. time. I was, I was a five-minute deep sleep, five-minute REM sleep 15 years ago. Wow. So I've been tracking my sleep for 15 years. I just I know it works. I'm very conscious about my sleep. I, I do all kinds of crazy stuff. Just it matters. So for me, I'm really curious then. For me, I've been playing with my sleep because I'm kind of like six, six, six and a half hours is great for me, but I really was trying to optimize my deep and my REM. And so I found the perfect combo is magnesium, with a combination of chaga and reishi that I tincture in alongside some lion's mane, that seems to get me like an hour and a half to hour and 45 minutes of deep and around like the same of REM, I'd say. Sometimes I'll get two hours, um, but it's not, I'm not consistent. I've done that a few times and I'm really curious, what is the magic remedy for you then? Apart from like the other things like the true dark glasses and like blocking the light and stuff at night. The, the most important variable is light. If you were to put on the true dark twilights, like the really dark ones for an hour before bed, your deep sleep will go through the roof. I mean, it's so predictable and it's ridiculous how effective it is. Most people can't stay awake for an hour with the really dark lenses on. They're, they're called the twilight lenses. So um, those really matter. And then for REM sleep, the single biggest variable I've found is anything that raises BDNF, brain-derived nootropic factor, will increase dreams. So... Um, I looked at the research when I started Bulletproof. I was so excited about Lion's Mane, but I took a lot of it. It just doesn't work. So I finally found the reason it doesn't work is when you take like the powdered Lion's Mane, it, the, the compounds that you need are not liberated from it. So there's you know, people who are you know, putting it in coffee. I used to try and do that at the Bulletproof coffee shop. I take it like people. in an alcohol tincture. That's how to do it. So yeah, I use the, the life cycle. It's an Australian an Australian species of lion's mane that seems to be stronger than me, but it's extracted with alcohol and hot water. And when you do that, I do five dropperfuls. I'm a little bit bigger than you are, but five droppers of that. And man, my dreams are there. My REM sleep is there. But if I do two dropperfuls, it doesn't work. So for you, I want to see you crank up your life yeah, cycle, the lion's mane stuff. Okay. Yeah. Cause I've been doing one, right. I'm going to try a bit more. Then I might remember my dreams because I'm not really remembering those. The it's other okay. thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it turns out people who remember their dreams a lot, either they're relatively intuitive and psychic or they have a lot of trauma. Maybe you just have less trauma. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I don't really have much trauma. So that's cool. There you go. I'm pretty easy then. Um, okay. The other thing I want to talk about is uh, there's two things because I've got a question around mold from a listener in a moment. But is hey. when, we're talking, <laughs> when we're talking about uh, the bulletproof diet, 
you talk about oxalates and this is going to smash everyone's green smoothie in the morning when they chuck in the kale and the spinach. Um, I actually cannot eat. Sometimes my husband makes me a, a, a salad with raw spinach and there's something about it that I just can't stand it cooked and in butter. I love it. But can you just explain a bit more about this for people? Because yes. this is interesting. In Fast This Way, I talk about these five categories of plant toxins that are there. And people say, plants, they can't have toxins. But if you were to go outside right now and walk in a forest or a park and just pick the first green plant you see and put it in your mouth and eat it, you might die. You'll probably be very uncomfortable and you might end up in the hospital. So plants make a lot of toxins. We know this. We evolved over years to be able to survive on all kinds of plants during times of famine. That doesn't mean that those are the best plants for us. Since plants can't run away, they have roots. How do they protect themselves from predators like us? Well, they build toxins in to prevent us from eating too much of them. And so if we eat plants that are lower in toxins, our biology works better. Can we handle higher toxin levels? We can, but it comes at a cost. And I don't want to pay that cost. I have other things to do with my energy and my kidneys. So raw spinach and kale are um, very high in something called oxalic acid, which is one of these five categories that drive cravings in a lot of people. When you eat oxalic acid, it finds free calcium in your blood and it forms tiny crystals. They're razor sharp. And then they go places in the body. They go to your feet, they go to your joints, they go to your kidneys and cause kidney stones, they go to your brain, they cause inflammation. And this is why I'm on a small farm, I'm building soil, it's a permaculture, uh, regenerative agriculture setup. My pigs don't really like kale, they'll spit it out. <laughs> like the last thing they'll eat if there's nothing else. And animals know this, um, things like horses, they'll spit out kale and high oxalate foods. And if you ever eat raw spinach and you feel like on the bottom of your, your teeth, on the back of them, there's like kind of a, a layer there, that's your body trying to excrete oxalic acid. And that's that calcium crystal. So it turns out these weren't healthy. No one ever ate a spinach salad until the 80s. It was one of these, oh, we're going to be all mm -hmm. hippie about it. So before that, your grandmother, she knew how to cook spinach. They would boil the spinach, dump the water, and then they would add milk. Why? Because milk has calcium. Because the milk and creamed spinach is going to stick to the oxalates and then you can tolerate the spinach. So if you went to you know, one of those old cafeteria places and they give you a big hunk of creamed spinach, that's way better for you, except milk has its own set of problems. Milk protein doesn't work for many, many people. But what I recommend, in fact, I run the Joe Rogan show and told him this like seven years ago and it took him six years to finally believe me. Uh, he finally just quit drinking kale smoothies. If you're going to eat kale or spinach, boil it dump the water. And when you're boiling it, you want to have baking soda or calcium carbonate, either one will work. And that's going to stick to a lot of the oxalic acid and then you dump it out and you're going to have a different result. You're going to be less hungry. It's not going to poke holes in your gut lining the way it does, but to put raw kale or spinach in a smoothie is just, it's not scientifically valid. I don't care what the kale marketing association tells you raw kale is not good for you. And even cooked kale is negligibly good for you. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense what you say as well about the pigs. It doesn't pass my Labrador test. And if my Labrador doesn't eat it, it probably, <laughs> there's very few things that anything. he won't eat. Exactly. And he won't eat, eat anything poop, like but that. But not kale. Okay. That, yeah, that's all you need exactly. to say. Exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's all said and done. Um, okay, let's talk about, actually, no, before, how long have we got? We've got a few more minutes. Before we talk about mold, because this is like a completely selfish question on my part, but I think people will enjoy it. So um, I have a 13-year-old son. I know you have, I don't know, how old's your son? I know you're feeling My son's 11, boy. my daughter's 13. Okay. So I'm in a scenario now where he is growing so fast and he's so hungry and now he's so thin and he's working out and he's uh, very, very healthy. He'll eat like steak for breakfast with avocado and things. What's your top tip for feeding a boy of like 13, 14 without actually putting junk into them? Because it's almost like I can't get the calories into him just on healthy food. If you increase the amount of carbs that he eats, he's probably going to burn him if he's exercising all the time. Mm. Because when you're 13, you're putting on, I mean, your hormones are changing. You're putting on a ton of, of muscle and bone, right? So what nutrients does it take to do that? It takes saturated fat because your cell membranes are made of tiny droplets of fat. So lots of grass-fed butter. That's important. Um, I've given my kids the brain octane, the MCT oil since they were one right? And this really helps, really helps with their energy in their brains. It, it's phenomenal what that does. Then carbs are going to be important. White rice, uh, sweet potatoes, things yeah. like that. And it's okay to have some of that stuff. In fact, you can have really as much as he wants at this point, unless he's you know, becoming a, a, you know, I only eat rice kind of a thing. And collagen protein is so terribly important. And as a mom, Anytime you make something that's blended or has any kind of a sauce, you can literally do like a stir fry and you can take three or four scoops of the Bulletproof Collagen. You just pour it in the pan. It'll melt into everything and it doesn't have a flavor that kids can detect. Amazing. Right? I hadn't thought of doing that. I'm it quite annoyed totally that works. I have it. I'm quite annoyed that I hadn't. I've put bone broth. I've cooked rice in bone broth and snuck it in that way. That's such a great idea. You can even do a salad dressing, and this is another way to get nutrients into kids. You can put very high-end, real olive oil. You don't want too much olive oil. It still has omega-6, but it's got some good stuff in there. So you have a tablespoon or two of that, put in some MCTs. You can add inner fuel, which is the prebiotic fiber, which really helps gut bacteria in kids. And you can even add collagen to it, add some vinegar, and you can even use a sweetener like monk fruit or xylitol, so you get like the sweet and sour, it tastes like honey. You throw an avocado in there. And then you put that on a salad, a very finely cut salad for kids, actually, and adults. The finer the cutting, the more it holds dressing and the easier it is to eat. But if you're making one of those fancy salads with giant pieces of lettuce, they're just a pain to eat and they don't hold dressing very well. So the idea is, you know, very, very thinly cut. And all of a sudden, then kids are like, wow, I like this salad. It was really good. And they're getting that extra collagen protein. And since your bone matrix is made of collagen, your skin's made of collagen, they're growing more skin, they're growing more bones, they're growing more fascia, they need it. And then I have my kids take uh, dried liver pill as well. So grass-fed liver is really important. So okay, we could so eat you do liver, use but pill form because I, I think it was Dr. James D. Nicolantonio, and he—I don't know—I think he seemed really quite against the pills because I want to get more organ meats in. But. I don't know why you'd be against the pills. If you wanted to be really fancy, you could do what I used to do uh, way back in the day when I wrote my book on fertility. Um, you can take a raw grass-fed beef or lamb liver, you can dice it in relatively small pieces and freeze it and then take those like pills if you want to be really fancy. When my kids were babies, uh, we would actually take frozen uh, beef liver and grate it on top of and like kind of blend it into formula. 
uh, which is another way to get in when they're very young. But most kids won't eat liver. I don't like liver. My kids don't like liver. Every now and then my wife who loves mm. liver, she'll make like a okay. liver pie and we're like, oh, please don't make us eat it. But it's okay to take a handful of liver pills. They work just fine. Cool. All right, I'm going to get the liver pills because I'm not big. My mother raised me on like heart curries and liver. And we even went to Paris and ate brains and she somehow put me off for life. Um, so let's talk about mold quickly because I've had people ask when they've got mold in the house. Interestingly, our last house, I believe, had mold. We definitely were living somewhere on clay and it was really wet and towards the end. Yeah. And I noticed that my middle son, he was just like, he had constant rhinitis and yep. I didn't feel like he was growing. Like he looked a higher weight, like he was going to be taller before when, um, when he was born and looking at the early projections. And then we moved and the last year, he's 12, like the growth has been incredible. He has no nasal problems at all. And people have been asking me, rushing me saying, please, can you talk to Dave about mold and how you can permanently get rid of it? Just any okay. resources you have. Number one, go to moldymovie.com and watch it. It's free. And this is a documentary that I filmed. I drove around the country. I interviewed the top experts, 12 doctors and 12 people who were affected by mold because it's way bigger than you think it is. And it has such a broad array of symptoms that it's hard for people to believe it. And one of my favorite interviews is a husband and wife who are doctors. And she was really affected by mold and he had no effects whatsoever. She, by her own medical training, she said, I know I'm a hypochondriac because you can't have 10 symptoms. Anyone with 10 symptoms is a hypochondriac. She said, but my body temperature was too high. So I knew it was real. So she biopsies every organ in her body to try and figure out what's wrong. And eventually they're like, oh, we have a mold problem in our house. And when they're sitting there during the interview and, and he says, I don't feel anything, but I know it's real. And we're both MDs. And, and that's one of those things where you see these things where you know, the husband has issues or the wife has issues, the others don't. It creates a huge amount of conflict in relationships. It affects kids' behavior. I grew up in a moldy basement. I had nosebleeds all the time. I had chronic strep throat. It's one of the major reasons kids get ear infections and, and strep throat. And obesity and stretch marks. A lot of the mold toxins are what's called xenoestrogens. These are a thousand times stronger estrogens than what your body would make. And they disrupt growth. They do all sorts of things to your brain, to your behavior. They make you more volatile and they can cause joint pain and swelling and, and it's all over the place, right? So what do you do? Number one, if you're gonna buy or move into a place, you get a mold test first. So you know what you're dealing with. When I bought the house I'm in now, uh, we knew it had mold because I live in a rainforest in the Pacific Northwest. So most houses have a problem. We had to take two of the walls off and redo them and get rid of it. And we had to treat the under the house as well. And so you might say, I'm not moving into that place because I don't want to take on the cost of doing it. I bought a new house recently and it actually had been tested. So when we bought it, it said no mold present. They falsified the test. When we got in there, it was full of black mold. So the house is being demolished right now. It's not livable. If I had moved into that house, it would have been seriously bad for my kids and for me and for my wife. Like it, it's an important, way important environmental variable. Mm. There's about a hundred million structures in the US that have issues with mold right now, especially schools. So what do you do in your house? Well, proper building maintenance is actually the most important thing. If there's a sprinkler hitting the wall, if there's any signs of water intrusion, you hire a home inspector who's aware of mold and say, tell me where there's problems. Are there rats in the roof? Are there holes in the roof? You got to get all that under control, under sinks and things like that. And what I do now 
is one of my companies has a mission of stopping the world's toxic mold problem. That's a big mission because this is a, it's an agricultural problem. It's in our food. It grows in food is in the field. It grows in food is stored and it grows in our homes and our schools and our workplaces. So this is, you know, it's going to take me 20 years, but the company is called Homebiotic, and it makes a soil bacteria probiotic that you spray around a house. And what the soil bacteria naturally do in soil is they compete with mold. They actually eat mold as their, as their fuel source. So what I do, living in a rainforest as a mold-sensitive person, is every week I take a little bottle of homebiotic, which is like 25 bucks or something. It's not an expensive product. Uh, and I mist around every door, every window, under the sinks, anywhere there's likely to be humidity or condensation. And I make sure that my gutters work. And I make sure that my roof is intact. And the difference in quality of thinking, quality of health is amazing. And if anyone's listening, you move to a new place, you get a new job, maybe even a new car that smells funny. And all of a sudden you start gaining weight and you feel like you're hungover when you wake up. It's mold. I moved into a moldy place in my 20s. I'd already lost 70 of the 100 pounds. I gained 30 pounds back in two months after moving into a place that had stachybotrys in the bedroom that we didn't know about. And so it is a major trigger of weight gain and inflammation and cognitive dysfunction. It's a huge thing. Marriages end every day because of toxic mold because you can't control your behavior when your brain's like that. Because of your brain. And the weight gain is what? As a result of inflammation or what's what's causing that? What's the mechanism? It depends on which mold you have. Sometimes it's inflammation. Remember, inflammation means instead of making electricity, you made inflammation. So your your energy consumption goes down and you start storing it. But a lot of these are those estrogens. And my favorite mold toxin is called zeralinone. And it's the one that's a thousand times more estrogenic than estrogen. Cattle ranchers who raise industrial beef, they'll buy a concentrated pellet of zeralinone. It's called xeranol in the, the trade name. And they put this little waxy pellet in the cow's ear and it melts in and it enters circulation in the cow. And magically, the cow gets fat on 30% less calories. So if you believe calories in, calories out, that pill cannot exist, except it does, and it's used millions of times a year. And then we eat those animals. That's why I don't eat industrial meat ever. I eat grass-fed or I don't eat meat. Mm. And, well, if that's in your house and you've got something, estrogen makes you fat if you have too much of it. And if you have super potent estrogen, well, that would drive weight gain for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I didn't actually know the link between mold and weight gain. Uh, it's, a, it's a big sign. So it's poor quality sleep, super nightmares. Uh, nosebleeds are a really big sign. If you start getting nosebleeds, um, you start getting unexplained rashes that you can't deal with. Uh, and then um, the emotional volatility. Those are also all big signs. Wow. Well, great that you're doing that company. Um, amazing. Before you go then, Tell me what, what is happening, what's new, what's your latest biohack, what kind of thing are you kind of leading the charge the, with at the moment? The thing I'm most excited about is that I've written seven books now, and I realize I haven't done a great job of getting it out there, uh, where I write the books at the New York Times, and I'm like, well, read the book, it's got everything you need, but a lot of people don't learn that way. I was a teacher at the University of California uh, for several years. I love teaching. So this year I'm teaching every one of my books and all of my biohacks. I have a new group called 
the Upgrade Collective. You go to ourupgradecollective.com. And there's a lot of people there. We've got a tight community. There's a team of coaches who work with me. We're answering every question in the Facebook group. And I'm literally giving lectures on all the books. Here's what I didn't write. Here's what I wanted to write. Here's why I wrote this. Here's what's changed since I wrote it. So there's a whole bunch of people learning the detailed biohacks uh, over the course of the whole year. So I'm, I'm super excited on just going back to teaching and making it so that you can learn it in a way that it goes in. And then it becomes easy to look at a plate and say, I'm eating that, I'm not eating that. Or this is how I wanna move, or this is how I wanna sleep, or this is how I wanna make my brain sharper. So I'm, I'm really in on that. I'm also taking my Upgrade Labs company. This is a company around biohacking and recovery. And we are franchising that around the world this year. So I'm expecting a lot of franchisees. Go to upgradelabs.com slash franchise for info on it. Oh, very cool. Very cool. And on the course, can people join that at any time? Are you doing that anytime. live or is it an annual thing? Will they, would they just get recordings if they join? How does that work? When you join, you get um, more than 20 Q&As with me throughout the year. You get to be in the live studio audience when I record a podcast. You get to ask the guest questions and uh, you get courses. So you basically, you get a video every couple of days. That's like, okay, here's your 20 minutes. What you need to know about chapter one, you should probably reread that, or maybe you won't read it. That's okay. You got the, <laughs> you got the lecture anyway, and there's other course materials. So it's self-paced, but there's a community of people who are all doing it. And mm -hmm. that's really cool because then we all support each other and people are making friends and there's a weekly, weekly call every other week. It's me. And the other weeks it's the coaches going deep on specific questions. So it's a very high touch program. I want people to learn this. I, I want there to be hundreds of thousands of people who have the manual for how to make the body work. Right. That's amazing. And where do they go to find that? Ourupgradecollective.com. Ourupgradecollective.com. And then there is also daveasprey.com and bulletproof.com. Right. Yep. And all the books, obviously. I will link to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on. I've had so much fun. I could have talked to you all evening if you'd had the time. Thank um, you, it's been a lot of fun. Thank have you. Have a great evening. Thanks, and you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and got a huge amount of information out of it. Please do me a favor. Make sure that you take at least one thing that you're going to do straight away. Take action straight away on one thing that you learned in today's episode, whether that's something spiritual we talked about, whether it's fasting, maybe you're going to fast a bit longer, maybe you've never fasted before, and you're going to even just start with a simple 12-hour overnight fast. But commit to do something, something that inspired you today, and take action, because that's what we really want this podcast to be about is helping you actually make those changes and transform your health. Now, all of the show notes and the transcript are over on my website, angelafosterperformance.com forward slash podcast. So you can go and access all of the information there. And I'll be linking to everything that we talked about in today's episode over there, www.angelafosterperformance.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening and for marking this very special 100th episode. And I look forward to joining you again next week's episode. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body, and lifestyle.